It's estimated that 1.1 million people in the United States are living with HIV. New York State is aiming to be the first state in the country to end the HIV-AIDS epidemic by the end of 2020. Hi, I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. Doug Worth is the president and CEO of Amita Care. Amita Care is a wide network of healthcare providers throughout New York City and is the largest Medicaid special needs health plan in New York State. Doug is here to talk about New York's initiative to end the HIV-AIDS epidemic and how Amita Care is contributing to that effort. Doug served on Governor Cuomo's Ending the Epidemic Task Force, which came up with a blueprint to snuff out AIDS. He's with me now in the studio. Doug, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. So first of all, give us some information about Amedicare and the mission of Amedicare. So Amedicare is a special needs health plan serving persons living with HIV or people at uh, placed at higher risk of becoming HIV positive. And what we do is we make sure that they get the health care and social services they need to be well uh, so that they can get about the business of living their lives. Now, you're all about treating the whole person. So why don't you explain what that means exactly? You, you know, when you look at the whole person, right, well-being is more than just medical, right? So we make sure that people get primary care visits, go and see their doctor, have access to medications. But it's also about, so that really deals with the physical part. Uh, but it's also about the social, emotional, and intellectual. So we have Live Your Life wellness programs that members can come out to. Uh, we do it two or three times every month, everything from sacred African dance to uh, skin care to how to write a resume. And the idea is that people come out and socialize around things that are important to all of us, right? Like work and staying fit and uh, sex and dating, right? So uh, it's important to deal with not just the medical, physical health pieces uh, of well-being, but also to pay attention to the emotional and social aspects uh, of life as well. Are the folks that you work with primarily on Medicaid? So uh, we are uh, we do serve individuals primarily with uh, with Medicaid, and so that means that their income is uh, at a low level that they qualify for for those benefits, and typically that also means that people have uh, long periods of time of either underemployment or unemployment. So most of our members are living on really li- limited incomes. And how does that impact their ability to take care of their HIV? It's been well proven that a person's zip code is more determinant of their health and well-being than their genetic code. And by that, uh, we mean that uh, housing instability, food insecurity, underemployment, unemployment typically uh, are people's experience. And if you don't have a place to sleep or food to eat or money to go to a medical appointment, it's really hard to pay attention to medical care and health and well-being. So we really work with our members to make sure that all of those issues are addressed so people can go to their medical appointments. 
But it's important to remember that uh, living with HIV is about more than pills and doctor's visits. It's about feeling good about yourself as a person. It's about having positive relationships. It's about making com uh, contributions to your communities. And those are the things that really go into uh, whole person health and well-being. That said, what would you say are among the biggest misconceptions when it comes to HIV and AIDS today? Well, I think that uh, you know many of your visitors might remember a time when there were 10,000 or more new HIV infections in, in New York. And today, uh, you know, we've really been successful at bringing new infections down. And the reason for that is that uh, we have treatments. Treatments are av available. And so uh, if people find out they're positive and they get into care, get with a doctor, come up with a, a treatment plan, and adhere to their medications, they're actually able to reach what's called undetectable status. And that's just a fancy medical term to mean that the amount of HIV in uh, body secretions, uh, blood, is so low that you can't transmit the virus to another person. So treatments uh, really work. And our job is to make sure that people have access to them and then the supports that are necessary so that they can adhere to them and get the, the, both the mental uh, health as well as the medical and physical benefits. There's also another drug out there called PrEP. Tell us about that. A game-changing uh, prevention tool. So uh, PrEP is basically a once-a-day pill that you take that prevents the transmission of HIV. So part of our work is helping positive people get on medications so the virus uh, is so low in the body they can't transmit it. But for people who are negative uh, and placed at higher risk uh, for becoming HIV positive, PrEP is a game-changing pill that actually, when taken uh, daily, uh, is effective at preventing HIV transmission for someone who's positive but not on treatment. And, and so it's, it's a really important thing that I hope all of the listeners uh, will actually have conversations with people in their faith communities, at the bodega, in their families, their social networks. People need to know that PrEP is available and that it can help end the epidemic in New York. Just to play devil's advocate there, any concern that that could give people a false sense of security and perhaps make them a little bit more risky in sexual behavior? It's not been our experience uh, so far. Uh, for most people, PrEP doesn't, isn't something that they go on for uh, many, many years. As I think about uh, communities that are placed at, at higher risk, in particular, young uh, men who have sex with men, gay, bisexual, men who have sex with men, um, that when, when guys are young, finding out who they are, experimenting, uh, deciding wh where to date, where to meet people. I don't know about your experience. My experience is I took risks when I was younger that I wouldn't take today. And so PrEP isn't really about increasing risks, take risk-taking. It's about helping to manage risk-taking during shorter periods of time that help a person to stay negative so that they can get about the business of living their life and going to school. And, and so I, I don't think it's, it's really about increasing risk-taking. I think it's about helping people manage risk for short periods uh, of their life.
You referenced some of the higher-risk populations right now, but let's talk more about the communities that are more disproportionately affected by HIV and AIDS. Yeah, it's important um, uh, really to think about that certain communities are actually placed at higher risk for becoming HIV positive. And the governor's blueprint to end the epidemic really articulates them very clearly. And I had the the pleasure of, of working on that task force. Young, um, predominantly men of color between the ages of 14 and 29, um, who may be uh, bisexual, might have sex with other men, uh, are figuring out who they are, definitely uh, a community that's been documented as at placed at higher risk. But so are women of color. Very few people know that 90% of the new HIV infections in New York State are among women of color. And so uh, black women and Latina are, uh, need to know about PrEP. Uh, and there's not enough conversations happening there. Who do we blame there? Do we blame healthcare providers? Who's at fault? Well, I think that uh, I think that we all have some responsibility. I, I I want if medical providers who are who are listening might be doing OGBYN care or primary care. Um, talk to your patients uh, about sex and sexuality. I also think that spiritual leaders and faith communities are a really important place to have conversations about relationships. And most relationships, uh, romantic relationships, uh, involve sex. So we should be talking about sex and sexuality uh, as well. I worked for a period of time with the American Psychological Association and did national level training of mental health professionals. And what I discovered there is that far too uh, uh, therapists uh, were comfortable talking with the clients that they served about sex and sexuality. We should be starting conversations as service providers, as community leaders with people that clue in that it's okay to talk about sex. And when it's okay to talk about sex and sexuality, then it becomes easier to talk about uh, HIV and how to prevent becoming positive, or if you are newly diagnosed, getting into care. So we're seeing higher numbers among women of color. Absolutely. Another community, uh, transgender persons. Transgender women in particular are about 49 times more likely to become HIV positive than the general population. That's astounding. It's unacceptable. And we need to, to, to be engaging and supporting transgender persons in terms of having medical care, gender-affirming care. HIV may be uh, one of the lower things on the list of concerns. So we really need to in, in, make sure that people are getting the care and services that they need. And then when they're ready uh, to talk about uh, what's the best way to prevent HIV. How much outreach does your organization do to these vulnerable populations to raise awareness? We are out in the community uh, all year long. We've got a team of uh, staff that go out and participate in health fairs. We're out at medical provider sites, uh, places that are a part of our uh, network from Bronx, Lebanon to Montefiore to the Acacia Network to um, Bright Point Health, all really important primary care locations here, uh, here in the Bronx. So we, we feel like we need to be where people are 
and uh, starting those conversations about sex, sexuality, uh, HIV prevention, and HIV treatment. How much of an issue is stigma still around HIV and AIDS? I think that a lot of progress has been made in certain communities around uh, HIV stigma, but stigma is still a problem that you know, we've got about 8,000 members in, in our health plan who live all across the five boroughs of New York City. And I've not engaged with one member who hasn't told me a story about an HIV stigma experience, whether that was with a neighbor uh, in their building or at the grocery store or, or with their family, quite frankly. So there, there does need to be a uh, concerted effort around addressing HIV stigma. The truth is um, everybody who's sexually active should be asking their medical provider to have an HIV test at least annually. Uh, and if you do test positive, there, you should be talking to your medical provider about getting into care and treatment right away. It's no longer that you wait to enter treatment. If you're HIV positive, newly positive, or you found out a while uh, ago and you didn't enter care, there, is, there are tons of medical providers who are specialists in treating HIV, primary care providers. Um, you can go on our website at www.medicare.ny.org and find a whole host of medical providers to treat uh, HIV as well as providers who will prescribe PrEP. Let's just talk about the language and the shifting in the language over the years. We are now seeing living with HIV. We would not have been saying that many years ago. It's true. One of the biggest joys that also comes with a little bit of sadness is we've got members who've been in our health plan. We opened our doors in, in 2003, and we've got people who've been in our health plan uh, since day one who are now turning 65 and becoming Medicare eligible and then shifting from our health plan to, to another health plan because we don't presently offer a Medicare benefit. So people are living longer. You can actually begin HIV treatment, become undetectable, uh, and actually live as long as your neighbor, brother, or sister who is HIV negative. And that's remarkable. You once ran five homeless shelters in the Midwest. How did that experience inform your work with Amedicare? Wow. Um, yeah, I the early days, uh, I actually bought a, a bar at age uh, 23, an old mom-and-pop shop, and it converted it into a transitional living uh, program. And so what I really learned... Um, and my, my office was on the second floor of the homeless shelter. What I learned is about the real-life experiences of people who were poor, people who often had early-life trauma experience. Um, many people were veterans. Uh, and their experience uh, around life and accessing care and so, you know, housing stability was important and food was important. So I was like, wow, we have to deal with that. We need to make sure that, that people have food and, and a place to sleep. Otherwise, uh, the health care, we're not going to get the benefits of their accessing health care or even the spend on, on medications. So 
I would say those early days working on the second floor of a homeless shelter helped to build the model of care at Amedicare around whole person care. Employment opportunities, obviously critically important. Talk to us about how improving employment opportunities can help combat the AIDS epidemic. It's a great question, and there's really two levels. First, for the person who is living with HIV, who's on treatment, is healthy and well, and they're sitting at home, and they're going to medical care a lot less, and they want to do something with their life, employment living wage employment is one of the best long-term viral suppression programs, keeping that HIV low. Why? Because like us, they put clothes on today and they got up and they went into into their job. And they've got a community of of supports through work. For another reason, uh, employment of people living with HIV is really critical. To reach people who are out of care, who are newly diagnosed, we need people who have access in those uh, social networks and those community circles. And so employing people and asking them to bring their lived life experience of being someone living with HIV who got tested, who got into medical care, got on treatment, and is doing well, that's the secret sauce for inspiring people who are out there who are not yet in care to come into care. Um, and that's that's a uh, an expertise that not everyone has. And fundamentally, I would tell you that we cannot end the epidemic in New York without employing more people living with HIV to help us end the epidemic. I understand that this is an issue that has been especially important to New York City Councilman Richie Torres. What has he been doing to help this issue? Yeah, Council uh, Member Torres has been critical. He's one of the first persons that uh, we went to uh, when our members at Amedicare came to us and said, hey, look, we're doing really well medically. I- I'm, I'm a little bored. I don't have things to do. I want to I work. And, and so we had the experience of actually uh, employing people at Amedicare. We've hired our own members. But what I ultimately wanted to do was to create um, a funding mechanism to grant monies to medical providers so that they would start hiring more of their own patients uh, and giving them jobs to be health navigators, outreach workers. Um, And so I went to Councilmember Torres and pitched um, Richie around this concept of a workforce innovator employment program. And uh, with his support... Um, Speaker Johnson's support, Lori Cumbo's support in um, in Brooklyn and Carnegie and um, and Chaka, a whole bunch of people came to the table and joined uh, Richie in making sure that some of the end the epidemic funds would actually be dedicated to increasing employment opportunities for people living with HIV. And for that, we we are eternally grateful. Let's talk more about this end the epidemic fund. How much money is there? How much more money needs to go there? So the blueprint, um, Governor Cuomo's blueprint was released in, in 2014. And there were a ton of priorities, well over 60 priorities uh, that were included in that blueprint, if you will, to end the uh, HIV epidemic. 
Um, and the state has uh, invested about $20 million, uh, up to $20 million annually to fund essential pieces uh, of that blueprint. But we knew that that uh, state money was not enough, and so we went to the to the city council and the mayor's office to ask the city to to partner in investing in funding those uh, those pri- those priorities. So it really uh, has been a, a state and city uh, collaboration in funding the programs and services to help end the epidemic. You have not been shy about your criticism of Washington on this issue. It, it amazes me the attacks uh, on uh, Medicaid that have come from uh, Washington uh, really confuse me. The Medicaid program, about 60% of people uh, who receive Medicaid work already um, they work in small businesses, uh, and Medicaid actually helps uh, small business workers be healthy enough to go to work. Uh, there's um, millions upon millions of small businesses across the country. And fundamentally, uh, the conversation I believe we should be having is making sure that everyone has uh, health insurance coverage, not taking it away uh, or reducing uh to reducing coverage. That won't make America great. It will not make us strong. And it doesn't produce uh, the worker, the healthy worker that we need to uh, fuel our economy. Let me ask you about Medicaid and PrEP, because I understand that 80% of the people who are accessing PrEP through Medicaid are white. And yet the statistics show that more people affected by HIV and AIDS are people of color. It's true. Uh, and it's it's something that um, I'm really happy that you raised. Uh, and I'm hoping that the listeners will engage in, in helping to turn that around. So what I believe needs to happen is that we ne- need to start talking about PrEP uh, in our social networks, with our family members, at the bodega, in our faith communities, so that people who are placed at the highest risk for becoming positive, and in particular, I'm thinking about uh, young, same-gender-loving men of color, um, women of color, as well as trans persons. They need to know about PrEP, that it's available, that it's covered, uh, and go into a medical provider and say, hey, do you prescribe PrEP? What do you know about PrEP? Is PrEP right for me? What do you think? Uh, I'm interested. Those are the conversations that need to to be happening all across our city. But certainly, uh, it's important in the Bronx, given that about 23% of all New Yorkers living with HIV are from the Bronx. That's over 30,000 Bronxites. We got to change that. And we shouldn't wait for government to do that. We the people having conversations together, we can be that change that we seek. Another statistic here, only about 6,000 New York Medicaid recipients are using PrEP. That's right. And and that's been significant progress. It used to be you know, below uh, 2,000. So there's been really great strides uh, to increase PrEP access in Medicaid. But uh, our own state health department, uh, AIDS Institute, has uh, identified that we, sh- we need 30,000 
PrEP prescriptions in Medicaid a year in order to end the epidemic. That's a, that's a five-fold increase. And that's not going to be achieved alone by government talking about it. It's neighbors and medical providers. We need to start these conversations. I challenge every listener today to find one person in their life and to start a conversation and say, I heard about this prep thing uh, on the radio. What do you know about it? And if people don't know about it, and either one of you has a phone on you, type in prep, P-R-E-P, into your browser and, and bring it up and have a conversation. What are among the other proposals in Governor Cuomo's blueprint to end the AIDS epidemic in New York State by 2020? One of the biggest, most important components of the blueprint that has yet to be realized is uh, statewide rental assistance for people uh, living with HIV. In New York City, uh, we have, through the Human Resources Administration and HASA, we have access to a supported housing benefit um, if you're HIV positive or living with AIDS. That program doesn't exist across all of New York State. And you pointed out uh, you know, just a few moments ago that it's very hard to get the benefits of health care, including medication, if you don't have a home, you don't have a place uh, uh, to sleep at night. So for me, that is one of the most critical, un, uh, undelivered, not acted on priorities in the blueprint and, and the time is now. We, we can't wait. We need uh, to pass statewide rental assistance and work with local governments from Buffalo to Syracuse to Binghamton to Sullivan County, which isn't too far away from us. It's the second poorest state uh, and the second poorest health outcomes. Um, so there's a lot to be done. What was the process like for you to be on that task force, a task force that's setting out to achieve something really big, ending the AIDS epidemic by 2020? It was really life-changing. I mean, you know, I've been doing uh, HIV and mental health work for over 30 years. And I remember a time when, you know, we were afraid to go into uh, elected officials' office and, and talk about HIV. And here we were, uh, a governor-endorsed task force being asked to come up with, with the recommendations to, to end the epidemic. And, you know, people from all over uh, the state, people from every community impacted by HIV needing to sit down and talk with one another to come up with the best ideas, uh, the most evidence-based uh, interventions to advance this plan. It was uh, both an honor and, uh, and a deep privilege to be a part of that experience. And New York, uh, we've made enormous progress uh, towards ending the epidemic. And we could very well be the first state in the nation to end uh, this epidemic. And um, that, is, that is certainly um, something I'm very proud of. So exactly what will it mean to end the epidemic? So there are very uh, complicated uh, metrics in terms of how you identify uh, that. But suffice it to say, we need to get 
below 1,000 new infections a year where HIV as an epidemic can't continue. And so, you know, we've reduced, as I, I mentioned, from 10,000 new infections uh, at a high to around 2,000 new infections. So we've made enormous progress, about a 40% decrease in new HIV diagnosis since the blueprint in 2014. 11% reduction in the last year where, where report, uh, results are available. But we need to uh, maintain and accelerate the momentum to get from 2,000 down to that 1,000. And that means uh, making sure that people have access to PrEP. Uh, everybody who's sexually active should uh, have uh, HIV test and know their status. And if you are positive, get into treatment so you can become virally suppressed and live your life. Are there any particular examples that you would want to talk about, inspiring examples that have come out of Amita, people who've come to seek your services and really did a nice turnaround in life? You know, Nicole comes to mind, a transgender woman originally from Mexico who, um, for some of the same reasons uh, about poverty, uh, and discrimination, um, needed to engage in sex work for over a decade just to survive. Today, thanks to the Innovator Employment Program at our company, um, Nicole is a peer health ambassador at the Trans uh, Latinx Network. Nicole today is working to enroll new clients into services. She's bringing people into care. She's running support groups. She's doing uh, outreach. And we're just so, so proud. Doug, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. Doug Worth is the president and CEO of AmitaCare. More info at amitacareny.org. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producers Laura Babiak and Maddie Bristow. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. If you liked this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to Cityscape on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to Cityscape on Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at WFUV Cityscape to stay up to date between episodes. Thanks so much for listening.